Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast and this is me, your host Yag. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the role of AI and ML in enterprise ABM and to share his insights on this topic, we have with us Pierre Costio, the CTO and Head of Product for MRP, the only enterprise class predictive ABM platform. Pierre is an industry veteran who believes he is still learning every day. He leads MRP's global product strategy and initiatives and drives the company's technology vision. He oversees product management, data science, design, and engineering. Prior to joining MRP, Pierre served as the VP of product management for Oracle Eloqua. Throughout his career, he has held senior positions in consulting, sales, R&D, product management for various software vendor companies and helped customers across the Americas and Europe. So without further ado, Pierre, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Yag. I'm very honored to be here. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so let's start with something, you know, that I've been really curious about. So ABM is one of those topics in the world of B2B marketing where everyone seems to have their own definition of what it is. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I personally believe that ABM does not make sense if your product's ticket size is at least about $5,000 or more in MRR. And when I look at you guys at MRP, You position yourself as enterprise class ABM. So let's start with that. Isn't ABM in itself more of an enterprise thought process? Well, I'm not sure I would say it's an enterprise thought process uh, because it it evokes that it would be reserved for a certain class of company. And um, and ABM is, as you know, as Lori Wisdo Forrester said, ABM is just good B2B marketing. So for that, I think if you're into B2B and considered purchases, which I think you gave a good definition, I mean, it needs to be things that people actually consider as a purchase, right? Right. Uh, would, in that regards, ABM is, is just good marketing. And I would go even one step further and probably say ABM is just good customer engagement. Right, right. So in that essence, what does enterprise class ABM even mean? Like if you can put that in simple terms for us. Yeah, so everyone's got their own definition of enterprise, right? Um, oftentimes it's a kind of a sales-driven definition, uh, so let me explain that. In a lot of organizations I worked at, we, you know, they, they defined their customer segments. You know, there's the the higher tier customers, the customers of certain revenue, and they call them, you know, the enterprise accounts. And right. sometimes they'll have strategic accounts, which might be the Fortune 500 or something like that. And then then you've got mid market and whatnot. That's not the definition that we like to use for many reasons, because I, I think even as companies, you know, use that definition in their sales and, and marketing engagement, sometimes they'll have blind spots. Uh, so it's more about, you know, what defines certain customers that we think uh, we're particularly good at at helping. I'll give you our definition of enterprise, but before I, I, I do so, you know, we cater to all sorts of companies. Uh, the company I work for currently, MRP, we've been fortunate that in that for the last 20 years, we've we've really worked with companies of all size, but we we have worked with a lot of big, you know, 
top companies in their field. Uh, you know, we currently right. uh, serve nine of the, out of the ten, you know, largest tech companies in the world, and and that allows us to to find a few a few things that are interesting. Not that those customers, I wouldn't say inherently they're more sophisticated. <laughs> although they have more sophisticated or more complex problems. So let me define what some of those problems are uh, that, that they face. And, and that being said, you know, we have to acknowledge that ABM is a fairly recent software category, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I'll talk about that in more details. But you know, one of the definitions that we use for, uh, for marketing is those organizations that uh, typically have uh, some complexity in their go-to-market. And that complexity could, could be in... in you know, different ways. First of which is larger companies tend to have business divisions or lines of business. Right. They might have yeah. multiple product divisions. It might be geographic. They might have, you know, the EMEA team and those teams have some level of autonomy uh, in engaging, you know, and defining their sales and marketing strategies and executing on them. So that's one of the first complexity. When you've got that, you know, it's a sign that you're, you're a bit larger than than a startup, right? A startup yeah. that's just getting started. The other thing is those companies typically have existing customers and existing history with customers where, you know, they've already got a lot of customers that they're trying to deliver, you know, additional value to, as opposed to maybe a startup who, you know, is quite frankly, just trying to fill their CRM with, with new companies and new company information and go to, you know, towards as many new customers as possible. <laughs> uh, right. And 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 uh, the, the other complexities have to do oftentimes with, you know, them being highly distributed like that. Oftentimes they'll have an indirect workforce, uh, sales force. So it could be, you know, they have this multi-tiered strategy uh, where there's an ecosystem of resellers or system integration uh, implementation partners, or just plain influencers that um, that do participate, you know, where there is a need to collaborate with them throughout not only the sales process, but oftentimes way ahead of that uh, in engaging those pr prospective customers. So that creates complexity, uh, and it's that type of complexity that you know we we say is typical of enterprise companies, and we're trying to solve uniquely for them. Now. Right. One of the challenges that we've identified in the market with ABM being somewhat recent is a lot of the companies that have technology uh, for ABM uh, are small companies themselves. They, you know, they started a startup. It's a, it's a fairly recent thing, right, to do ABM. So, <laughs> so, and rightly so. I mean, you've got, you know, an entrepreneurial people with companies that uh, have great ideas and great ambitions and they define kind of the best practices around what ABM should be. And because of the nature of it being somewhat of a new, you know, a new technology or a new software category, if you will, uh, a lot of those best practices are geared squarely towards companies like them, companies that are uh, smaller companies that are trying to seed the market with their products and that are trying to attract as many customers as possible. So this tends to create this dichotomy, if you will, or, or at least bifurcation between the promises of those ABM platform and the best practices that go with them and the needs of, you know, larger companies that might have more sophisticated or more complex problems. And, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm always a bit hesitant to say uh, enterprise companies are more sophisticated. I don't mean to say, you know, that the marketers within those organizations are more sophisticated or are better marketers. That's not the case. It's just the problems the very unique problems and challenges that those people are faced with, um, you know, tend to have solutions that are not as well addressed by the majority of the market. So this is how we, 
you know, we've defined kind of a niche for ourselves. Right, right, totally. And, uh, you know, as you rightly brought up, uh, also realistically speaking, uh, as, as you also pointed out, pretty much every product or platform in the ABM space is solving for only one piece of the equation, right? Say uh, it could be programmatic ads or uh, recognizing an existing account on a live chat or advertising or what have you. And as, as you can look at it, you would say you could say that it's fair because uh, ABM as such is broadly an approach and you need different tools to orchestrate the different moving parts to contribute to the overall ABM strategy. Now, if you look at enterprises, one of the hallmarks that I would say is the inconsistency of data that tends to be uh, spread across a wide range of applications. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, uh, people use multiple channels for different kinds of communication. And that means it's going to get tough to get probably a single source of truth, which is very critical for any ABM program. So in such a scenario, where does this AI and ML come into being? Like what piece of the puzzle does predictive analytics solve for? Yeah, it's interesting to to think of of the, you know, whether whether the fact that a lot of solutions are point solutions, is that because of the market not being mature enough? Is that because the organizations are not mature enough? You know, what, what are the reasons there? And certainly, you know, within within enterprise type companies, companies with you know a lot of means and a lot of budget and um, and a lot of people, they cer- certainly exacerbate the problems that they've got all these disconnected, you know, dispersed systems operating in silos. And then you might have people operating in silos on top of that because I ju- what I said earlier, right? You've got multiple lines of business. Maybe each has their own set of tools. Uh, and typically, you know, they they might be engaging with the same customers. That's the other thing that people don't necessarily realize when you're at a company that has three or four lines of business. I've seen so many companies use uh, multiple CRMs in the same company. Absolutely. And they might all be competing for the same accounts, actually. (laughs) They might be selling to the the same buyer. So it just exacerbated a problem that's there for everyone. But back to your question, you know, when it when it comes to when it comes to those disparate solutions being poorly connected, we have to think of the impact of that. And the impact is is really poor customer experience, right? And it, it certainly doesn't have to be that way. But um, one of the things I often like to talk about is, you know, what I love about what I do, just as an aside, uh, we lose sight of, of that sometimes when we're when we're in technology. What I love about what I do is we create better tools for marketers and salespeople, but ultimately we have, we have a, a shot at impacting how these customers of ours, the salespeople and the marketers, the users of our solution, uh, can also impact the engagement they're having with their customers, um, and and that's yeah. you know that's a driver in and out of itself. But going back to our, our main topic here, a lot of people look at these solutions as point solutions because oftentimes of kind of a failure of the other systems that might already be using as well, right? And let me explain that. If you look at the stack, the technology stack at most of the companies, and I think according to one of the latest surveys, it's like. Customers, you know, people who do ABM use something like upwards of, you know, more than a dozen different solutions. Um, yeah. And within those solutions, if you talk to Scott Brinker, he'll tell you, you know, there's there's big planets and then there's probably junk orbiting around those big planets and there's asteroids and whatnot. But there's there's some big hanker, you know, centers of gravity that people have, have invested heavily in. And those typically yeah. are, you know, you've got a system of record or multiple system of records that's typically one or many CRM solutions. And then you've got systems of engagement. And the, you know, the big planet there is oftentimes their marketing automation platform. And then they've got their website. You know, those are the two big planets. You some some sort of content management system slash 
you know, website solution. And then they've got systems of, of analytics and reporting, right? To kind of try to make sense of all the data. They'll have uh, Google Analytics or, or something from other vendors to try and, and, and understand what's going on, on their website. And then they've got multiple systems to kind of understand what's going on with their business. Yeah. In fact, Scott was also telling me about, uh, you know, the multiple level of uh, uh, integration levels that mm-hmm. even complicates this, like the four levels of integration that he was talking about. I was like, really? Uh, we haven't even <laughs> thought about those things. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's become a real challenge for organizations, yeah. big and small, right? How do you get uh, to make sense of all of your data? And, uh, and I can tell you that it, it doesn't have to be this way. There, there's now technology, there's now foundational technology that can connect a lot of your systems of the record and your system of engagement. And then back to your question about what ML can do, it can do a lot. It can do a lot with just the data part, just understand, you know, wrangling all of that data and, uh, and, and then, you know, deriving insights from it and having it drive your engagement with your customers. But as people kind of uh, spread their, their budget across multiple ABM platforms, oftentimes, you know, that, that thought of, of creating that platform or procuring that platform gets kind of relegated. Or as we see in the enterprise, customers say, oh, We'll build it ourselves. <laughs> you know, we'll build, yeah. uh, you know, kind of a DIY approach. So they'll say, we'll build a customer, you know, repository of some sort and we'll put all of our data there and then we'll hire a whole bunch of data scientists. And I can tell you the majority of customers I talk to have that, you know, they, they do have some sort of some sort of a data, uh, you know, data platform, a, a data lake of sorts. And, uh, and they've got um, scientists and data analysts helping the organization make sense of that data. And there's a few challenges with that DIY approach, you know, and I, I can probably list a few of them just to, to illustrate. Organizations spend a lot of time on the data part, which is just organizing it, labeling it, normalizing it. And those efforts are sometimes carried out by a function within the business that's a bit disconnected from the people actually needing that data, right? So. So there's no sense of what's important, what's not, uh, what needs to be prioritized and so on and so forth. So, you know, companies are spending a lot of money doing this and it's it's kind of complicated. It's, 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 you know, there's a lot of technology involved and they've never done that before and, uh, or they may have done parts of it, but the data science is new to them. I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of time, right? And then when data scientists finally, you know, are at a point where they can start, you know, derive some valuable insights for the business, the insight doesn't find its way back into the systems of engagement <laughs> or if it makes it at all, it will take too much time. It might take, you know, something that they deliver once a month or once a quarter. And, um, and it's by the time, you know, it's delivered back to marketing, it's, it's stale. It's no longer, uh, you know, very yeah. usable. Sync up is a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then finally people, you know, when it comes to AI and, and machine learning, uh, they kind of fall in love with the wrong ideals, and so I'll explain that because that's 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 a point that's kind of uh, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, there's a lot of aura, there's a lot of hype, and and mea culpa, you know, the vendors were all guilty of this. You know, we're excited about the promises of ML and AI, and and what could be, and and we tend to overhype it a little bit, and it creates these expectations and these these ideals that no, could be attainable but they're not necessarily desirable. (laughs) And so like to me, so, you know, you've all seen it, right? The recent announcement that the, you know, an AI model has created new Nirvana songs or, um, you know, a painting in the style of Monet or uh, some of the content, you know, 
the excitement around GPT-3 and things like that. Absolutely. And on the face of it, that content is, uh, you know, that promise is, you know, when you look at it from a business standpoint, creating content, that's the most expensive. Uh, that's one of the, you know, the, the heaviest uh, line item on, on your P&L as a CMO, yeah. right? It's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of money going into the content and then it's a lot of money into activating it with media, but it's, it's a big ticket item. So it's yeah. easy to, to kind of be enamored with, you know, the prospect of content writing itself. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely perils with that. And I'd love to talk about that in a little bit more details. But the first thing to think about in the opportunities that come with, with AI and ML is, is around organizing the data itself. And when we talk about data, that's another soapbox. Can I, can I get on another soapbox for a second? Yeah, please. I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> so you've heard the term, right? The data-driven marketer. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's been thrown around. I've, I've heard of all kinds of marketers. Sometimes it makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, when you hear that, you're like, oh, the data driven. And, and, and quite frankly, I've worked at places uh, that were, that was their tagline because I mean, it's, it's kind of self-serving in, in ways and that, you know, if you sell <laughs> databases, uh, of course, everyone needs data. Right. Um, yeah. But um, having said that, the, you know, the modern marketer being a data driven marketer, this is in my book equivalent to saying the modern swimmer is one that swims in water. Data has <laughs> 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 always been around us. And I trust that people yeah. have always been looking and finding some evidence that their marketing worked, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's as old as marketing itself. Attribution is a whole different story, but yes. <laughs> uh, no, no, one's, no one's come up with the definition of what attribution needs to be. I'll grant you <laughs> yeah. that. But at least everyone's looked at their data and find some way, some proxy at times, you know, it might be vanity metrics, but to say, hey, this seems to be working. Yeah. But what I don't like about this myth is, is it kind of sends the message that marketers should be quants <laughs> and all the data that's generated by an organization should magically make sense for them yeah. and be available to, to support everything they do now. Yeah. Now, it's not, you know, it's not exactly that. Uh, and I prefer to, to talk about insights driven marketer, you know, skip the data part. Yeah. Go straight to the insight. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to be a data expert. So, I think AI and ML can help here. So, I'll give you an example of some of the things that we do. We've we've created what's called an inference engine. Right. So, I don't know if you've heard the term before, but um, inference is that you know, if you're given two pieces of information, you can probably deduct a third piece of information. Right. So, yeah. you've got a lot of data at your company that might be incomplete, and you can come with not only a best guess, but sometimes a pretty accurate definition of what the you know what should fill the the blanks here sounds very close to enrichment kind of an idea absolutely so the, so the simpler right. you know the simpler analogy here is hey it's sunny outside i'm in canada it's january actually it's not january right now but yeah. if it's january therefore it must be really cold oh you say yeah. well it's really sunny it's really cold yeah because the coldest days are sunny days in canadian winters uh you've just learned that from me if you don't live in, <laughs> in these parts right. In fact, yesterday I saw someone post that, you know, in a week, like five days have five different weathers in Canada. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> that's very true. We're at that point where yeah. uh, it snowed a uh, day before yesterday and they're announcing some more snow. But we also right. had weathers, weather in the in, in the 20s, um, yeah. Celsius status that would be in the 70s um, Fahrenheit. Uh, but going back to my analogy, right, if, if now it's the same conditions, it's sunny out there, I'm in Canada, and it's the middle of July, then it must be really hot. Right. So 
you just made two inferences very easily from two pieces of data and one piece of data changing. So ML can do that really, really well at scale. If you uh, if you know what to look for and, and how to train the algorithms, it could do that for you. So all those, those things about, oh, our data is incomplete, uh, it's not well normalized and whatnot. Well, you know, there's some technology nowadays that can help that. The other thing right. that ML can do is find uh, really interesting relationships between structured and unstructured data. Uh, so what's good about that is if you build that, you know, that capability in a in a closed loop, meaning if you're able to infer some some things or make some uh, make some links between, you know, correlations between certain features and and results then over time you're going to get better at it and your data is going to get better and your ability to infer some insights and to derive some insights out of that data will become better so this is where you know i think the first place where ml can um can can do things better and and hopefully you know give you more return there yeah and one of the things that uh, you know when i was looking at mrp uh, one of the things that I really got excited about and I wanted to ask you was, you guys talk about, uh, you know, powering your ABM campaigns with uh, real-time mm-hmm. AI. You know, how does that work? Like, if you can give me a real case study uh, so that I get a good grasp of how that works and what it solves for. Yeah, so so essentially, when I mentioned, you know, organizations building customer data repository earlier and leveraging their own data scientists, you remember, there's a certain latency yeah. to that process, right? Um and I routinely talk to marketers and say, oh, we've got all that, you know, what you have, you know, we've built it here, but they're kind of rolling their eyes because they're like, it takes so much time, you know, by the time, by the time we're ready to engage with customers, we don't have, we don't have the data, uh, you know, we don't have those right. predictions or we don't have those predictive models. We haven't found a way to really activate them within our system so that, you know, we can really respond really quickly to uh, to what's happening. So obviously your customers are never waiting a month in limbo for you to guide them through the next phase of their journey, right? <laughs> your buyers are, are really engaging with you on their own terms and and you want to stay relevant. Uh, and the other thing is they're engaging with you across multiple channels. And you know, how how do you how do you do that well? You know, inbound and outbound, right? They're responding differently and whatnot. So how, for instance, to give you a specific example, you have a customer coming to your website either out of the blue or you know through a display ad campaign, but you know they they start consuming a particular piece of content and they consume it in a certain quantity or you know certain depth of engagement there with content, and you're like, oh, okay, well, that changes my understanding of where these customers are at and the customer journey, and that changes my understanding. If you were if you were a person looking at them on the website, right? Uh, it would really change your perception of where they are in the customer journey as a as a as a buying center. And yeah. again, the important thing here as a buying center, not as an individual within a buying center, because you know you you have to remember that this whole thing about ABM is never just about individuals. It's about individuals that are part of a of a buying committee uh, or a buying center, right? Uh, yeah. So who they are, who where they come from, what content they're engaging with, that constantly changes your perception of where the account is at and their consideration of your product, what stage of, of the buying journey they're at, and what's the next best action, be a piece of content or having a person call them uh, or having them uh, go from one nurture stream to the other in your email marketing system. So you need to do that in real time. You need to basically get to as close as real time with this as possible because, for instance, 
if they're really ripe for a conversation with one of your SDRs, it needs to happen now, not in two hours, not in three hours. There's ample evidence that um, the more time you, you wait after that person's engaged with you to re-engage them, your likeliness of re-engaging them, you know, goes down the steep hill. So, so that's what we yeah. call, you know, real-time ABM is that ability to, from data that's being ingested in real time in our platform, we're able to invoke some models that tells us essentially what's the next, next best action, either digital, you know, automated best action or one that a human could, you know, should be taking. Right. And now that, you know, given that uh, the third party cookies are going to go out and the sources of uh, third party data is coming down. So does that impact this real time uh, analysis or the real time intelligence that you get on each of these accounts? Yeah, there's uh, what this talks to is essentially um, oftentimes if if you instrument your website, that's first party data. Right. And yeah. To the, to the extent where, where those are not going away, you're still going to have the ability, if you've seen this customer before and they raised their yeah. hands, you still have that ability. Um, there's obviously many other ways to understand who that person is, uh, right. be it IP addresses, you know, all sorts of other identifiers. And then, as you know, the, the, the world of ad tech, I, I can barely follow myself. I mean, there's <laughs> lots of discussions going on right now uh, with regards to initiatives by Google and other vendors around identity. But um, the need for identity is there, and I think it will prevail. The, what saves us a little bit in ABM is we're not so much interested in personal information. Right. right. Maybe we'll lose the ability to know the job function or title of a person unless they tell us. Well, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I think that becomes more of a zero party data where they talk about their intent and come in and say that this is what I want or when I want to be connected, things like uh, that. Absolutely. But think think of it another way. Um, if and, and this is where, you know, being being the global economy that we're in right now gets interesting. If you buy other means of engaging with accounts. And we do that. We we do millions of calls every year on behalf of our customers. We also operate you know, a, uh, an inside sales function um, as a managed service that's coordinated with the use of, of our software. Uh, and we do millions of calls and, and we don't use our customers' data in doing so, but we do get through analysis of those calls, a certain understanding of where the buyers are. And if, for instance, you're seeing people come from your website from a particular location where you're like, hmm, they're from this account, they're looking at this content, and I know the buyers are actually there, the decision makers are actually in that part of the world, right. well, that's an understanding of the account that you can probably hang your hat on, at least to a degree, and, uh, <laughs> and act upon. So right. uh, so there are, there are many, many ways to infer uh, who you're talking to, who's who's engaging with, well, you're talking to virtually in this case, who's engaging with, with you and your brand and your content, uh, even with the loss of the of the non first party cookies. Uh, right. So it's 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 absolutely not a, a lost battle for marketers. Uh, the cookie apocalypse is is definitely having some impact, but yeah. uh, for ABM it might not be as dire as people would like it to think so. Right. Right. That makes total sense. And uh, while I was going through some of your uh, accomplishments and the brilliant things that you're doing right now at MRP, there are a couple of things that uh, caught my eye. One of the things was that you compared social distancing to corporate distancing uh, <laughs> or uh, the silos that tend to uh, tamper the organization's capability in terms of executing ABM well. But, um, you know, 
also in offering a seamless experience to the customer as you just mentioned mm-hmm. and uh, you know similarly when we think of this at avoma you know the very reason that we built our uh, ai based uh, meeting assistant it stemmed from the realization that we need to break down the silos and uh, move from a system of records to a system of collaboration mm-hmm. where everyone's job needs to feed into one another so with that in context what i want to ask you is what are the most common pitfalls that you tend to come across in typical enterprise abm scenarios Yeah that that um that phrase I I coined that phrase on a on a webinar once and I never thought it would <laughs> it would stick with me and I almost regret it now comparing a pandemic <laughs> to uh but I I said essentially you know to to a lot of people in the enterprise and larger companies social distancing feels a little bit like deja vu because we've all been there right we worked at a company yeah. where there's very poor collaboration it's like oh this is my department this is your department um this is yeah. my line of business this is your line of business and and people don't naturally want to collaborate um and especially in you know with regards to sales and marketing because that's the way compensations are built as you know uh you know <laughs> right. if if two people can sell into the same account it's whoever you know gets to uh have the right rules of engagement to say oh i'm the, i'm the one who's allowed to sell in this account you know buzz off right. you even if you have the best opportunity right and you have a better yeah. shot at closing it so that's that tends to reflect itself in the way in the way organizations actually market and sales then there's the other factor which is marketing by and large um if you look at all the all the you know the functions that exist within within marketing and uh with the advent of digital and and what not it's it's created other silos or there were already silos that just didn't get better right so this is this is where you know silos just got better <laughs> yeah. so this is where you know for instance oh you have all oh, the digital group takes care of ads uh we don't work with them or you know we're demand gen um um and and those are very inefficient because i often say you know if if you send on you know irrelevant messages or content uh to an account um over one channel and you and you do it too much um that's spam right it's just spam people will just ignore <laughs> you if yeah. if you do it uh it's still irrelevant but now you do it across multiple channels and and you've got more of it because there's multiple lines of business i mean i receive sometimes emails five emails from the same company same day <laughs> <laughs> just different business divisions yeah. and that feels like harassment <laughs> you know because it it's much worse than spam it it's actually become I've been a part of companies that send those kind of emails <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and i guess they people do think that they work to a degree because they continue to do that but i think i think the real reason is just because they don't know how to not to they just don't know how yeah. to do it better so that's the first pitfall if you if you think of abm as just another channel and you say oh let's buy a couple of tools give it to a couple people and uh have them you know do our abm um you're going to create that problem that i just talked about you're just going yeah. to actually exacerbate it uh right so the first thing you know you should think about is can we can we choose a tool that will actually allow us to collaborate will it be something that will help us collaborate or will it make it harder to collaborate can we yeah. use a tool we can all rally around and will it help us uh create better engagement for our customers again go back to those customers you know that's that's the name of the game you want to think about them yeah. uh so you really at the end of the day that's that's the first pitfall now 
that's even worse, as I said, in the enterprise because of the multiplications of lines of business and, and geographies and whatnot. But everyone, big or small, runs the risk of, of, of that. And, and under other pitfall is really to either underestimate or overestimate the importance of data management. <laughs> so I'll, I'll explain yeah. that. I've seen many good ideas and good projects for implementation of you know new processes new ways of doing things new technology fall at the altar of oh our data is not that good <laughs> right? yep. people are like oh we need to clean it up before we do anything and um, that lack of confidence sometimes it's based in facts sometimes it's not but what i often tell customers is you'd be surprised at the gains that you can make with a, a little bit of you know decent first party data that is custom, you know customer data that you have yeah. um, complement that with the right mix of second and third party data and and then you just need to get started just right. just do it <laughs> you know and as you do it you'll collect more data and you'll refine your understanding of those customers and as you're finding you know and engage with more customers you get even more data and you you know and and then it's the gift that keeps on giving but don't get discouraged <laughs> there's there's definitely technology there you know that make data health and data hygiene an important part of the workflow and which makes it really easy to consume uh, and organize data from multiple sources uh, whether they're first second or third party right so um you know, while we are on this subject, let's also uh, talk a little bit about um, emails. You know, that's that's one of the things that I have a lot of gripe about. Regardless of, uh, you know, the number of uh, communication options that we have today, emails are uh, kind of still at the core of everything. And yet mm -hmm. it amazes me as to how much emails are disconnected from the core account-based marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I mean by that is, see, given the number of one-off emails uh, or one-off email conversations that we tend to have with our uh, target accounts, uh, I'm not even sure if this information can be captured or synced into a common ABM intelligence. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I think you and I probably think alike in that those analog conversations, if you will, or, you know, what seems to be unorchestrated off-the-cuff conversations, I treat them just as I, I would treat, you know, the conversations happening in the digital world. And and to me, the conversation with the salespeople, a salesperson, uh, be it a, an SDR or BDR, or just, you know, your account manager, uh, is, is just, it's just an under-channel. And this, as I say, it sounds like an a bit of an oversimplification because, you know, the art of, of being a good right. salesperson cannot be reduced to an algorithm. But what I mean by that ultimately is just like engagement in the digital world, these conversations can be orchestrated, right? And uh, have, right. have their content informed by data and be delivered at the right time and in the right channel. And, uh, and, and the result of that conversation, and that's the most important part, the one that you were asking about, it needs to be captured. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it and it should inform the next steps. Now there is technology now that can extract topics and sentiment from unstructured data, such as emails and voice recording, and and of course we can we can also infer some facts just about the fact that people have engaged with it, right? The rapidity uh, of the response, uh, whether they forwarded it to people uh, within the organization, so on and so forth. You you. Things that a, a smart salesperson could probably infer from or or deduct from, you know, the that communication can probably be some somewhat automated into a process where that data is ingested. Uh, in fact, this is something that we do ourselves. I talked about a lot of the calls that we do 
we have predictive mo- predictive models and in, in politics that um, that uh, read you know conver- phone conversations essentially yep. converts them to text and then from that we uh, ascribe them to industry topics and uh, market categories and uh, and and so on and so forth and we also are able to uh, correlate really well um, what's the What's the buyer's propensity to engage from those conversations? Right. Um, so, so that data is absolutely valuable, and the technology to do it is available today. <laughs> now, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah. The, one thing to be said, though, uh, smart organizations will also train their people to ask the right questions and put the right words into the emails and kind of uh, uh, shape that that conversation so it becomes more useful to an algorithm. Or at least, you know, more data could be extracted out of those. So, uh, a good strategy is to do to do all that too, right? Uh, and that could be yeah. done in a way that's um, really well coordinated. But then upstream of that, <laughs> let me get on another soapbox. How many of those emails, <laughs> yeah, do you get that uh, the person says, "Oh, I see that your, you know, your company. They'll have one little fact about your company or one little fact about you." that they'll use completely out of context in that, in that conversation <laughs> as a way to elicit a response. And, yeah. and this is where, again, the predictive capabilities and the data capabilities of ABM platforms should be called into function here to just better direct those conversations and make them more efficient in the first place. And then it yeah. can turn into a real productive conversation, be it over email yeah. or over the phone, right? Yeah, anything that looks like a template, you know, nobody's going to read it, absolutely. Well, I think personally, it's kind of worse when they they take one fact about my company and <laughs> and uh, my title and uh, and then you know try to sell me something that's completely irrelevant to my role. I'll never buy that. I'm not the buyer for it, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> absolutely, I, I, I don't know what they're expecting, uh, but clearly, I mean, it's like very poor research. Uh, I've have some of those vendors call me for to sell things that that we sell, <laughs> you know, that that we ourselves are, yeah. <laughs> You know, sometimes I get really uh, funny or weird emails that say something like, hey, we just ma- yeah. made a research about your website and looks like you're doing yeah. great at uh, SEO. But, uh, you know, maybe adding a live chat to this uh, would really help. <laughs> and, and if they had seen my website, they would understand that we already have an intercom for that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And sometimes, yeah. you know, you might uh, they might actually propose you solutions that you sell yourselves. I mean, I've had that happen as recently <laughs> as my as last week. Someone reached yeah. out to me and I, I've, you know, I have a lot of respect for people doing this job. So don't get me wrong. It's just they're working really hard to put food on the table and I, it's a thankless job. I don't blame them. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I felt compelled last week to say, Hey man, you know, what, what did you use as, as, you know, data points to target me? He's like, well, you're this, <laughs> this size of company. You have this many salespeople within, within your workforce. That's what I can see on LinkedIn and whatnot. And so therefore you're, you're our target account. I'm like, Oh, okay. But did you realize that the services that you're selling, our company has 20 years of doing that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and we're actually a competitor of yours, in case you didn't know. And not only that, you know, we can claim all the, com- you know, you, you had, they had one out of 10, you know, tech companies of the largest tech companies. I'm like, well, we've got all the, the nine others, right? And that's in plain sight on our website. So you, clearly, you know, people... This is where there's a failure of being data-driven sometimes. 
is people just look at the wrong figures. They say, oh, this represents my target account, but then there's all these other yep. things that would be important. That guy just lost, you know, poor him. He <laughs> lost an hour with me uh, answering my <laughs> questions, but uh, he should have moved on to another account that was, you know, better suited for him. <laughs> right, that was super fun. And I think this is also a good place for us to, uh, you know, move out of this and uh, go into the next space where uh, we I'll be shooting about five pointed questions at you and uh, try to put you on the spot. We call this section the rapid fire section. So are you ready for a round of uh, lightning questions at you? Bring it. I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Here's question number one. What's your biggest customer acquisition channel for MRP right now? Is it inbound or is it outbound? Wow. I'm not the CMO, but I should know this. (laughs) Uh, I, I think, I think it's, I think it's still inbound. Right. That's amazing. That says a lot about your brand as well, yeah. being in existence for a long time. Yeah. Right. So here's question number two. Let's take a social platform like Clubhouse. You know, mm-hmm. we marketers um, have this FOMO of uh, wanting to be on every channel, assuming that our target audience could hang out there. So how would you go about picking your channel? Yeah, it's that's uh, such an interesting question. Yeah, uh, We have those <laughs> debates internally all the time ourselves about which platforms we should support. And uh, it, it, it's it's so hard to answer because you have the type of people to hang there, but then what's their purpose for being there, right? Uh, for instance, uh, yeah. if I go on TikTok, I just want to be entertained, man. It's like you know, don't give me too much too much <laughs> serious stuff. Me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't give me you know the the very you know the deep stuff there. I, I I'm just yeah. coming here to 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 get entertained. But that being said, you know, our research has shown that, for instance, marketing on Facebook for B2B is extremely efficient. And, and so you have to look at who gets there, what, what's the typical person, and what do they go there for, I think. Uh, and that tells you a little bit about not only should, should you invest or not, but when, when you do, what's the, what's the right tone to employ there? What's the, right, what's the right strategy? What's the right targeting strategy? What's the right strategy? You know, for instance, I, I, I think that Facebook is efficient because a lot of people that are at the age where they are ultimate decision makers in a lot of companies, yeah, they're at that age, you know, where um, Facebook is more of a destination for them than, you know, other social media. And they're on LinkedIn as well, but for, you know, sometimes a slightly different purpose. And I can tell you that I, I barely go on Facebook and probably shows my age, but... Um, I, I rarely go on Facebook as well. <laughs> yeah, but uh, when I do... I'm presented with a lot of ads that are relevant to my job role because I'm being right. retargeted, of course. Once in a while, you know, there's one that catch my, catches my eye and I click and I and I go there and I visit. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Or I can download a, a white paper there and, and things like that. So the, the other thing is it's really, it varies by country. That's the other thing that, you know, here in North America, we have this problem that we take a very North American centric view of the world, right? We think, oh, everyone does like Americans. <laughs> uh, that's not the case. We are we have a strong presence in uh, in Latin America, for instance, where the use of social media is very different. It's it's you know what people are, are doing on social media is unique, and they have a very unique way of of using you know communications and social media. WhatsApp was big there before you know anything else and, and whatnot. You know the, each country has its own patterns, so you have to yeah. you have to take that into account as well. I don't believe in the you know, ultimately we're all buyers. We're all, you know, it's, there's no B2B, it's B2, you know, B2P or B2 person, but you know, we're all yeah. buyers. That, but then the way in which we like to consume our content does vary, I think, 
by um, by country and by age groups and and all sorts of other things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, now moving on to question three. This is again going to be based on something that you commented on on uh, social media. I found it really interesting. So you made an interesting comment on the trends around intent data, and you said it's easy for marketers to draw on intent simply as a tactical method of identifying leads rather than mm-hmm. uh, looking at it as an integral part of, say, a strategic prioritization and planning process. So would you love to expand on that and say what you meant there? Yeah, the, the first thing I'll say is that I'm a bit uncomfortable with that that idea that it's intent. I would say it's a buying signal. It's Someone has yeah. shown a behavior that you could infer means that they're interested in buying something. Um, right. And that is not in itself intent. And You have a lot of ad players coming at you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, ad is, is a volume game, right? And and I understand how you, you, you would want to do that. But, but here's yeah. the thing. Those signals, you know, that are ascribed to a particular company, uh, it's a company. It, it, that company might have 10 locations. The buyers might be in three different countries on three different continents. So in and out of itself, it's not a very useful signal until you until you marry it with something else yeah. and and use some sort of predictive you know capabilities to uh, to, to give it prioritization give it context, so to, yeah. yeah to give it context exactly um, and I could talk about these other analogies about you know the weather and and you know you're using you're using something to t- kind of predict you know the time the, what the weather will be tomorrow and uh, the problem with intent is, Essentially, as a, as a marketer, if you send that signal without too much, I'd say, context to a salesperson, and they call that prospect, and it turns out to be a crap lead, um, <laughs> you know, they'll remember it as if it rained on their wedding day, <laughs> and, and the weather and the weatherman was was wrong. So you yeah. just gave him a prediction, and that prediction failed miserably yeah. because they had no context. So you have to be careful. You have to yeah. you have to use that data. Uh, in a way where you, you you can provide not only the lead or you know the signal back to the salesperson, but also some context to say, hey, here's why we think this is valuable because we're seeing, oh, they're showing this intent that we got from a vendor. They are actually very highly engaged on our website. They, uh, we know the buyers are in these locations, and this is where the intent comes from, et cetera, et cetera. And and then you don't, I mean, not that you need to explain it so completely and in such a detailed manner to your salespeople. But if you want to build a good rapport between marketing and sales, start doing that. <laughs> it will certainly yeah, and help. And the last thing you want to yeah. do is not send, uh, you know, your ebook downloads as leads to your salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They might Love be that. calling on a bunch of students. Um, you know, which <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So here's question number four. I recently saw you mention that uh, you like working on a bigger desk where, uh, you know, you can have a bunch of documents like a police detective style. So my question is, when you're on calls, do you like to take notes with pen and paper or do you like to use uh, note taking collaborative tools? Oh, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I do both, and I I'll spend one week where I, I I take notes with the paper, and then I'll spend a week where it's all uh, digital. I uh, right. typically have my my iPad that's always open with uh, OneNote, which is my note taking yeah, app. Yeah. But sometimes I find it a bit distracting. Not not distracting is not the right word, but I, I, depending on who I talk to, sometimes I I find that it distracts them. It takes away the focus. Uh, 
Well, I think it's psychology, right? If if yeah. you see me taking notes, scribbling down notes, I'm just sending you a signal that I'm really listening to you and what you're saying is interesting. I'm taking down notes. Yeah. If I'm typing, I might as well be answering my emails. You wouldn't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I tend to I tend to use both to answer your question. Love that. Really interesting. All right. So here's your uh, final rapid fire question. In your opinion, is ABM more of a sales-led strategy or is it more of a marketing-led strategy? Ah, the age-old question. <laughs> uh, you know what? If I were to make a prediction of where we'll, where we'll be in 50 years from now, I think even those silos of sales and marketing might come down a little bit. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and, um, and it will just be about either revenue, you know, like the chief revenue officer and having full responsibility for everything, you know, from consideration to, to purchase or... Uh, or some sort of, you know, some sort of hybrid. We're always seeing it, right? Where sales ops and, mer- and marketing ops are merging into revenue ops and, and so on and so forth. As long as they're just not changing the name from sales ops <laughs> to revenue ops. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, right? Because, well, it's category building. You had uh, you had a, a pretty good chat the other day with uh, uh, Christopher Lockhead on that. I found it yeah. fascinating. You know, you, you want to build a category for yourself and you invent that category. So it, it, you're the only one in it. And we all do that. We're all marketers. But at the end of the day, to answer your question, I, I think when I started in at Eloqua, for instance, my first time around, we had just come out with this thing of saying uh, marketing and sales BFF, right? That was a marketing yeah. campaign yeah. that we had where we said, you know, you can be best friends. You don't have to argue. And here's some tools. But the where, where that strategy was too way ahead of its time is who'd you sell it to? There's still someone carrying a budget to buy that technology that helps yeah. <laughs> marketing and sales. And right now, to answer your question more bluntly, it's uh, the budget is still with marketing. So- yeah. By virtue of that, it seems like marketing is carrying that tor- you know that flag of yeah. ABM because they're the ones with the budget to buy the tools. Um, there's some, <laughs> there are some there are some tools and sales that they that they do buy, but yeah, by and large, it's still it's still a marketing led journey. Yeah, yeah, it's that's why it's more of martech than sales tech. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. All right. So we are uh, coming towards the end of our uh, show today. I really loved everything that you spoke. And I think I have a lot of notes to go back and take. But before I let you go, uh, would you like to share a parting message with our audience? Yeah. Uh, ABM is not that complicated. Just do it. <laughs> just get started. <laughs> if you haven't if you haven't started or you've started and you've just been listening to you know what uh, any particular vendor has been telling you to do and, uh, and you find that it's not working, take a step back and uh, reevaluate how you want to do it more as a strategic initiative and not so much just a technology initiative, but just get started and do it. Um, it's, again, it's just, it's just great marketing. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, I love B2B marketing. I think it's in many ways more complicated and more rewarding than, than B2C marketing, although each has its challenges. But yeah. uh, ABM is, is just that. It's just great marketing. And you should, you know, you should do it and you should try to do it well. Absolutely. And if the listeners of the podcast want to get in touch with you or would love to, uh, you know, after listening to this episode, if they want to learn more from you, what's the best way of connecting with you? Uh, they can reach out directly to me on LinkedIn or go on our website uh, where there's a link where you can contact me there. Uh, if you go to our company page, I guess. Uh, and But I'm always happy to have people reach out directly to me on LinkedIn, as long as not to sell me something that's not relevant <laughs> to my role. <laughs> 
Love that disclaimer. All right, so that's a good place to uh, end this episode. Thank you so much, Pierre, for all the lovely nuggets of wisdom that you shared. Uh, I I think uh, not only me, the listeners of the podcast are going to really enjoy this one. And for the listeners, that's that from this episode. And until we connect with you the next time with another guest with another interesting topic, this is bye from me, Yag. Have a good day and take care. Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 